So we've spoken about this now for a couple of days, this protest over the weekend. It was a protest of a protest and involved an Antifa group who gathered or that gathered at Nathan Phillips Square to protest what was supposed to be a small group of anti-Islamist activists who were set to come in from Alberta. And then, of course, they canceled. And this group showed up wearing masks. They were armed with their own cameras and they were there looking for a fight, waiting to get one. They're chanting things like refugees in, hate out, Muslims in, hate out, that kind of stuff. You know, love Trump's hate. But when you read signs that read like F the police and you're wearing face masks, I don't think you're really coming for peace. And at one point, uh, a camera guy for the Toronto Sun was attacked out of nowhere. Standing beside a line of cops, doing his job. Guy jumps over the crowd and assaults him. And it was a very clear assault and the cops didn't do anything. And Antifa prides itself on being the fighter of fascists. You know, they stand up for, I guess, the causes that they feel need fighting. But who's kidding who? They're just as violent and hateful as the groups they say are hateful. But what do they stand for? It's kind of hard to nail them down on exactly what hate do they fight. Because they don't fight against groups like Al-Quds. They don't stand up for a lot of other causes, but... I guess when they know that they'll get the headlines, they show up. But I was curious, you know, what do they stand for and where's the movement going? So you go to the experts. And who is an expert? My next guest, his name is Mark Bray, and he has written a book called Antifa. And it's the Anti-Fascist Handbook. So if you ever wanted to know how to become part of Antifa, you can read his handbook. It's all there for you. He joins me now. So, Mark, we have a movement and I think a lot of people are confused as to you know what exactly is the right. Antifa movement and and we should start off you back and you support the movement correct that's correct so essentially people understand the struggle against fascism in the 20s 30s and 40s but what they don't realize is that after the war in Europe and also with you know the resurgence of the Klan in the United States you have a continuation of the anti-fascist struggle that emerges in immigrant communities in kind of punk rock scenes and usually is below the surface. What's changed recently is it's come out in the context of the Trump presidency. Okay. And so it seems to me from an outsider looking in, it's somewhat selective with where, um, you know, it will come up and, and the group will show its anger. Does Antifa pick and choose what it, it will back or how do they pick, I guess, the times that they will turn up? Sure. Yeah. Well, Antifa is a kind of politics, so there is no central command. Different groups operate somewhat differently, but basically they organize against both explicitly neo-Nazi or Klan groups and far-right groups like Identity Europa, for example, which tries to kind of veil its white supremacy behind a kind of uh, identitarian politics and shows it up to confront those kinds of groups. Um, in that sense, it tries to focus on, on the far-right. And so what, what's your feeling on the group now? Um... Now that everyone knows about Antifa, I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, it was not a mainstream word. It has come Mm -hmm. into the mainstream. Where's the movement making its mistakes? Or do you think they're making mistakes? Well, I think if you look over the past year, from Charlottesville last summer to the attempt at the Unite the Right to rally, which just happened recently in Washington, D.C., you can see that the kind of public presence of white supremacists and alt-right figures in the United States has really precipitously declined. And I think one of the major factors in that was the role of doxing. So doxing, for those who don't know, is when you make someone's 
private information public. And so after Charlottesville last year, anti-fascists played an important role in publicizing who the white supremacists were that showed up. Mm -hmm. When they came home, they'd lose their jobs. They'd be disowned by their families. And so this time, the different neo-Nazi leaders advised their people not to show up because, in their words, your life would be ruined. So people focus on the question of violence, but really the probably the most effective tactic that anti-fascists do is forcing these white supremacists to defend publicly what they say privately. Right. In other words, name and shame um, yep. and, and hope that they, they learn or either that or go away, albeit they don't go away. That's the problem. They just they go don't further disappear. underground. Right. right. They don't disappear. They go further underground. But the argument that these groups make is that when it's um, when they're ostracized, when it's hard for them to have public events, it's hard for these movements to expand beyond their very small bases. And so, uh, you know, if you look at when fascist movements grow, currently, unfortunately, there are some in Europe that are growing. Mm-hmm. They establish offices. They have family-friendly events. And so that's when it really gets to a dangerous level in a, in a kind of macro sense. Right. Okay. And so in Toronto this weekend, we had um, a, a group co- coming in from Alberta. They were an anti-Islam group, and it was it was publicly denounced. They decided in the end that they were not going to come here to Toronto. And yet there was still this gathering uh, in the public spot, uh, people coming out, you know, anti-fa groups, and they were there to, um, you know, h- hate Trump's love and, and that kind of movement. But, you know, these guys and, and gals, a lot of them showed up wearing face masks. And, you know, they were pretty in your face. Some of the language that they used, you know, they, they talked about their hate for cops, et cetera, et cetera. But there was no question um, they were ready for a fight. They didn't get that fight. But they did, in fact, collide with some of the media that they deem um, right wing. And so is that something that the movement supports? Well, I, I don't know the details of what happened in, in Toronto, but I can I can speak generally about those issues. In terms of the mask, the kind of principle behind it is that in this era of social media, of everyone having smartphones, it's dangerous to sometimes have your face public because the far right can identify you. I, I've interviewed anti-fascists from different cities who have been targeted at home once their identities have been made public. And some of what anti-fascists do in terms of confronting the far right is illegal, and they don't want the police to know who they are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, agree or disagree with that, that's the rationale. In terms of the role of journalists, unfortunately, some journalists try to get photos that reveal the identities of the anti-fascists, so it plays into the same question. Um, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate situation, but that's the rationale behind it. Ultimately, they argue that self-defense is lamentably necessary when you confront the far right, when you see how many people have been murdered over the past few years in the U.S. alone by fascists and white supremacists. If you read about, like, the Adam Waffen group of neo-Nazis who have, like, uh, developed these caches of explosives, it's really genuinely scary. It is, but if you're just a journalist doing their job or you're a photographer and someone jumps out at a crowd and, and punches you in the face because they don't like the way you cover particular issues, that to me makes the movement no better than the other side because hate is hate, whether it's left or right. And my concern, um, and maybe you can speak to this, is that if Antifa is no better than the far-right groups or lumping every person on the right as being alt-right and far-right, isn't that just essentially um, blurring, you know, the fight as a whole? Well, um, if you read the articles that anti-fascists publish publish about far-right groups, they are pretty careful to distinguish, and again, excuse my focus on the United States here, to distinguish, for example, between your kind of 
centrist Republicans and figures that are advocating for uh, white supremacy. Now, it does get a little blurry because, unfortunately, there are increasingly more and more avowed white supremacists running on the Republican ticket and, in some cases, winning local elections, Uh, not to mention, of course, the role of figures like Steve Bannon when he was in the White House. But I would contest the notion that, quote unquote, hate is hate. I think that uh, even if you disagree with every tactic and strategy anti-fascists put forward, I think it makes a huge difference the intention of opposing white supremacy, promoting egalitarianism as opposed to the other side, which does the opposite. Okay, so then why not fight hate when it's, let's say, a Jewish? We have uh, Al-Quds rallies here where you get groups um, that outwardly say, you know, we hate Israel, death to all Israelis. And, And I don't see these groups coming out to march against that kind of hate. Why are they so selective with just the far right groups? I mean, if they truly want to make a difference, why wouldn't they then come out to these other uh, gatherings, whether it's hate against Jews, hate against uh, any ethnicity, really, or or culture? Well, uh, anti-fascists have done work against Holocaust deniers and anti-Semites. I don't know about the group you talked about, but obviously part of the difficulty of the politics is that uh, there are people who are opposed to the state of Israel and to Zionism who are not anti-Semitic. Myself, for example, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I disagree with Zionism and I disagree with having a religious ethno-state. So uh, sometimes that confuses the politics as well. Okay. What, what, what would be the mistake then that Antifa will make um, that will inevitably, inevitably um, as we see happen, do the movement in? Well, you see, the thing is that the Antifa movement doesn't aspire to be hugely, massly popular. I think that if you look recently, for example, at the counter-protest in Washington, D.C., or others in Boston and elsewhere, most people who show up to counter-protest the far right are not Antifa. Mm-hmm. They're different kinds of concerned anti-racist people. Antifa has a sort of, it is kind of a militant edge of a broader anti-racist movement that will probably, in its current form, always remain small. Mm-hmm. If, if listeners disagree with what they do, that's fine. Think of ways in your community that you can make a difference to push back against white supremacy, because I think ultimately there's a variety of ways to do it, and everyone should think about what makes sense to them. Does it concern you as someone who has been you know, following it and knows it so well um, as kind of the core of what it is? Do you worry that as it gets bigger and you get other groups kind of clinging on to it, that they will inevitably um, you know, cause more problems or, or bring... Uh, negativity, for lack of a better uh, explainer, uh, to Antifa? Well, I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, negativity. I mean, these are predominantly anarchists, communists, and socialists who argue for a kind of direct action resistance to the far right that's outside of the police, that's outside of the courts. And so in that way, you know, it's going to rub up against a lot of centrist values. That's that's inevitable. Um, For me, the more serious concern is what do we do if we're convinced that we can stop a resurgence of fascism or white supremacy simply by holding hands and sitting in a circle. The history of these politics is very deadly. And so I think having at least an understanding of times when self-defense is lamentably necessary is essential to maintain a certain kind of security when we counter-protest them. So in other words, pick your violence, but pick it at the right times. Well, you know, I I have ancestors who were murdered in the Holocaust. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen again, Mm -hmm. but the way that we make sure never again is to be vigilant and not allow these politics to take even the first step towards being mainstream. Mark, I appreciate you joining the conversation. Likewise. Thank you. He is Mark Bray. You can get his book, Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. Uh, I think it's online. You can get it at Amazon. But um, interesting, I just don't see the movement surviving if they continue with the tactics they're using. On point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.